Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. As we get started today, I want to ask you this question. I want you to kind of think about it as we jump into our text this morning, and that's this. What are you afraid of? Okay? What are you afraid of? This past week, um, took our, our kids, went on a little family trip up to Kansas City, um, Missouri or Kansas, not really sure which one we were in, but we were in Kansas City, and we went on a little trip just uh, before school started to get away with the kids. We went to this place called Great Wolf Lodge. Have you heard of Great Wolf Lodge, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> so Great Wolf Lodge, if you're, if you're unfamiliar, um, is basically, it's, a, it's like a hotel and a water park and I guess kind of a resort in some ways, all kind of wrapped up into one. It's like, it's like a kid's place, right? And so we went to this place called Great Wolf Lodge. And, and as we're there, they have like these big water slides. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. They have these big like, I, I don't know, they, they kind of they're really neat. They go inside the building and then kind of outside and all kinds of stuff, but big water slides. My son, Dax, he's seven, loved them. Couldn't keep him off of the slides. My oldest daughter, Adley, couldn't get her on them, right? She was terrified of these slides. She was afraid to ride them. And so all week, you know, we're just like begging her, come on, Adley, come ride these slides with us. They're going to be so much fun, you know? And she just wouldn't do it. And so finally, um, I, I talked her into it or threatened her. I don't know. <laughs> but I got her up there, right? And, and I was like, we're just going to ride one. Just ride one slide with me. And, and so she comes up to the top with me, and she doesn't want to be there. And uh, she's starting to let everybody else know it as well. And uh, she's starting to cause a little bit of a scene up, up top. And um, it's our turn to get on the slide. And it's like this double tube type of thing where both of us are going to ride in the slide together, you know, and I'm going to be in the back, she's going to be in the front, and we get, and it's our turn, and I'm sitting in the tube, the lady's like, y'all can go, the light's green, like, get out of here, and Adley won't get in the tube, and so I have a decision to make, you know, what do I do, like, do I just let her cause a scene, or, or what, and I've always kind of, like, liked the just rip it off method whenever it comes to band-aids and stuff, and so I just kind of just grabbed her, plopped her down in the tube, and poof, off we went, you know. And she's screaming and I'm screaming. <laughs> and uh, we get to the bottom and I did see her crack a smile, you know, but uh, she, she faced her fears, kind of, right? <laughs> I, I don't know that I'll be able to get her back on any kind of slide like that, but she wrote it once, so that was good. So what are you afraid of? Is it, is it maybe it's water slides? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's spiders? Anybody afraid of spiders? Snakes? Yeah, I don't like snakes either. Maybe it's the dark. How many of you, even though you're an adult, like you would admit, the dark still kind of creeps me out a little bit. Like whenever you turn off the light switch in the hallway or maybe you're walking to your car at night, right? Start to do that kind of look over your shoulder thing a little bit. Yeah, I do that. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's bigger things. Maybe school starting is kind of scary to some of you. Like sending your kids off to school or maybe kids you're kind of scared of, of what starting school might look like. Maybe it's uh, some news uh, that you've gotten recently. Maybe it's a situation in your family or with some friends or something like that. Maybe something going on in your life has you afraid. Maybe it's a diagnosis um, that you just received or maybe you're waiting on some 
test results. Like what we're gonna talk about this morning is, is that. Like that is the scene of what we're talking about this morning. In our text this morning, the situation is a fearful situation. And, and the nation of Judah is being threatened and it's a very real threat, it's a very scary threat. And King Hezekiah, the king of Judah, does what's only appropriate in this moment and he prays, okay? So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. So we have, we've been in this study, this series uh, of the book of 1 Kings and now 2 Kings and we have one more sermon uh, next Sunday in this series and then we're gonna jump to the book of Amos uh, which is a lot of fun. I love studying and teaching the Old Testament, and so I'm excited that we're going to be starting another one uh, next uh, in two weeks through the book of Amos. But, but this week, what's happening as we frame the text this morning, the context of what's happening here is the king of Assyria, it's a guy named Sennacherib, which, I don't know, sounds like snacking on a rib or something to me, that's how I read it. Uh, so the king of Assyria, he's threatening to destroy Jerusalem, and his threats um, hold some weight because Assyria, if you remember last week, just destroyed Israel in the north. It was 10 years prior to what we're reading about today, but Assyria, they're bad news. And they, they have destroyed Israel and then kind of marched all along the way, just destroying everything and anyone in their path. And now the king of Assyria is threatening uh, Judah, where Jerusalem is. And he's threatening King Hezekiah. And, and God sends a message through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, listen, they're not going to harm you. You'll be fine. Somehow King Sennacherib from Assyria hears of that um, message from the Lord. And he goes, no, 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 don't, don't listen to that. You know who I am. You know what we've done. And he sends a threat to them. Look at 2 Kings 19. Look at verse 10. This is the threat coming from the king of Assyria. He sends a messenger to King Hezekiah of Judah. He says this, don't let your God on whom you rely deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? So he's like, I don't care what your God says. You know what we've done. You've seen it with your own eyes. You actually think you're gonna be rescued? And that's where King Hezekiah finds himself this morning. And before we look at what he does, I want us to pray this morning before we read the text. So as I pray, why don't you just pray for yourself? And, and in this time, just simply say, God, would you speak to me in this moment? Just pray that with me. God, we just wanna pause and we wanna thank you uh, just for this morning, thank you for our church family, thank you for our friends and, and what you're doing here. God, I pray as we open up your word this morning, I pray, God, that, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us. Ultimately, God, we pray that you would receive glory, that many people would be able to see and know that you alone are God through our text this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, 2 Kings chapter 19, let's pick up in verse 14. This is after the threat has come, this is King Hezekiah's response, verse 14. Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands, he read it, then he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed 
before the Lord. This is his prayer. Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. So listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. But now, Lord our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. So that's his, his prayer here this morning. I want us to see a few things here this morning. The first thing that I think that we see is we see that his first response to this threat was to lay it before the Lord, right? He gets this threat. His first response before he does anything else is to lay it before the Lord. I think this is a picture of physically laying down his burdens before the Lord. It says he takes the letter, spreads it out right there in the temple before the Lord. He's, he's physically laying it down before God, which is what scripture tells us to do today, right? That's what we're told to do. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you, right? Uh, Philippians 4, 6 in the New Testament says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And so the first response that we see Hezekiah, he, he just lays it before the Lord. And so as we jump in to this text, before we see anything else, just ask yourself, is prayer my first instinct? Like when things come up in your life and maybe you're fearful or there's a situation, is prayer your first instinct? You know, I think for probably most of us, if we were honest, we would say probably not, you know? Like, I just don't think that we pray as much as we probably should. So, so the question is, why don't we, you know? Why don't we? And maybe, maybe it's because prayer just feels like an obligation. Maybe, it, maybe it's uh, that we feel like we've got it. We've got it on our own. Like, if I can handle this situation, why would I bother God with it? He's busy doing a lot of other things. You know, he's keeping this whole world spinning and, and things. Why, like, why would I waste God's time on it? But in reality, prayerlessness actually proves a sense of self-sufficiency in our hearts. And if we don't turn to him, we're actually proving that we feel like we can do it on our own. But Jesus himself says in John 15, five, he says, he says, you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing like he is the vine, we are the branches, we remain connected to him and we do that through prayer. And so maybe it's that, maybe it's that we just think that we've got it or, or maybe it's that we don't know how to pray, you know? That's okay. The disciples even said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Like, te teach us what it looks like to pray. And so maybe we just need to be taught, you know? Maybe we just need to be taught. And I think that the way that Hezekiah prays here is a good model for us. Like, it's not a magic formula to get what you want. It's not, um, it's not even that Hezekiah, as he was praying, thought, okay, I gotta do these different sections and, and, and that, that's the way that you pray. It's just, this is a good model for us. Have you ever heard like different acronyms whenever it comes to praying? Like a popular one is called ACTS, 
Have you ever heard the ACTS acronym for praying? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, right? It's just a good template, it's a good model. It's not necessarily like that is the only right way to pray, and it's not even that when you're praying, you're sitting there going, okay, I gotta check that box off or whatnot, but it's a good model. It's a good, good thing to follow along. I wanna see through Hezekiah's prayer the model here. Number one, the first component to his prayer is worship. Worship, look at verse 15. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. See, he starts this prayer through worship, like it's an elevated view of God. Let's just break down some of what he's saying there. He says, Lord God of Israel. Now keep in mind, Israel the nation, you know, the nation of Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south. So if he's talking about the, just the northern kingdom, well, they were destroyed 10 years earlier. So he's not talking about that. He's talking about Lord God of Israel, meaning God's people, meaning the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who promised to create a people and protect them that would be called Israel. That's who he's praying to. That you, you promise to protect your people Right, so that's who he's praying to there. Then he says, enthroned between the cherubim. He's referencing something that's called the Ark of the Covenant. And in Exodus chapter 25, we actually see that the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant is the symbolic throne for God on earth. He's got a thing called the mercy seat. And this is like, God isn't physically sitting there, but symbolically, like this is his throne. And on both sides of it were these two Cherubim. And so what he's saying is that, that he's looking to the true king. Remember, King Hezekiah is a king. He's got the king of Assyria threatening him. But he's saying, it's not, not me. I'm not the true king. Even the one threatening my life is not the true king. I'm looking to the one and only king who sits between the cherubim. That's what he's saying. He says, you made the heavens and the earth. Like, not only is our God the king of Israel and all nations, including Assyria here, but he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Like, just stop and think about that for a second. I mean, I know that we know that, and I know that we say that, that, yeah, God created it all, but like, man, what does that actually mean? Like, that's, that's astounding, right? that we serve the God who actually created it all, who thought of it all, who spoke it into existence. In fact, John chapter one, verse three, talks about Jesus. He says, all things were created through him, talking about Jesus, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. He's the creator, he's the sustainer of all things, and in Hezekiah's prayer, he opens by acknowledging that. And then he says, you are God, you alone. See, I think we see here in this first verse that Hezekiah is just lost in worship as he realizes the greatness of the Lord, the only true God. And that's something for us to learn this morning, that it's through worship, it's through fixing our eyes on the Lord and his greatness that our fears begin to settle. So he's got this threat and he's got this big fear, and, and he doesn't focus on those things. He focuses his eyes on the Lord. And so it's through worship that you and I do that as well. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, our fears begin 
to settle. And I'm not just talking about like the songs that we sing before the sermon on Sundays. I'm talking about the daily act of fixing your eyes on him and remembering his faithfulness and his power and his goodness and his strength and his love and everything about who he is. And when you do that, everything else just seems to fall into place. Everything else just seems to be put into perspective, that he is the true king over everything. Like, what could come against you? He's over everything. What could come against you? He's the creator who made it all. That diagnosis doesn't rattle him. He's the one that formed every cell of your body, right? And so whenever we come to him and we worship him, we go, man, not one thing that has been created was created outside of you, and so I'm gonna trust you for all of this. It begins to settle our, our fears. See, beginning your prayer with worship, it not only properly exalts God, but it also reminds you of whose you are. And that begins to settle us. So we see that he starts his prayer with worship, The second component to his prayer, number two, is honesty. Honesty, look at verse 16. It says, listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. He says, Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire because they weren't real gods anyway. They were made with wood and stone and they've destroyed them. And what we see him do here in this moment, I think, is that he honestly lays out his fears. This is a word called a lament, which just means it's a description of a dire situation. There's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. It's the same same thing. What he's saying is, God, it's true. Like they've defeated a ton of people. And now they're, now they're coming for us, and that is terrifying. The thing that I'm facing is real, and I'm afraid. Do you see how honest that is? Like, do you see how, how raw he's being in his, in his feelings? I think that's an example to us, that we also should pray with honesty. And now some of us are like, wait, um, I, I don't know about that. Because <laughs> some of the things I'm thinking I don't know that I can say those things to God, right? Some of the ways that I'm feeling, I don't know that that's a real holy type of a feeling. I don't know that I can present that to the Lord. And so I think that we just struggle with this, just talking honestly with God. Like, wait, I'm supposed to actually tell God what I'm thinking and feeling? And I would say yes. Yeah. Is work tough? Tell him about it. Is, is that thing that you're facing, that decision that you're facing, you have no idea what to do with it? Man, take it to him. Take it to him. Are you, are you worried about test results? Is your wife driving you crazy? <laughs> or, let's be honest, guys, it's probably us driving them crazy, but t- take it to him, right? Is, are you unsettled in life and just not really sure what you're gonna do? Take it to him. Before you go vent to a buddy, talk to the Lord. Speak honestly to him. But maybe we don't do that because somewhere along the way, prayer has become a time to just perform for God. Where we just think, if we just say all the things that we're supposed to say and we recite the different things that he wants to hear, then then maybe we'll gain his approval and we'll merit some kind of answer from him, right? It's just a time to 
perform, but, but think about the people in the New Testament that Jesus preferred to talk to. It wasn't the religious people with their arrogant recited prayers. It was the people who knew they were broken. It was the people who knew that they needed Jesus. People whose pain and struggles were on the surface, right? I think of people like, like the blind coming to Jesus and begging for sight. I think of the people who were disease inflicted and then coming to Jesus and saying, I need you to heal me. Think of the lady who, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. These aren't people who are coming to try and perform for Jesus. These are people coming to him because they know they need to be near to him, right? And that's, that's the difference. I think of a guy like Peter. You're not gonna find a more honest dude in the Bible than Peter, right? That he was, he's kind of rough around the edges, but one day he met Jesus, he said yes to Jesus, and his whole life changed because he developed this real relationship. There's a time when Jesus and Peter are talking, and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And, and Peter says, uh, you're the Messiah. And then like two verses later, Jesus is calling him Satan. <laughs> they just had this real honest relationship with one another, but that's what happens whenever you meet Jesus and you say yes to him and you have a real relationship with him. See, honesty is developed through relationship. I think many of us, prayer just feels like obligation because there's no deep relationship there. If you're a parent and you've got little kids, you probably know what I'm talking about here. Have you ever, um, have you ever told a kid that they need to go give like great grandma a hug or something? And it's somebody that they don't really see a whole lot, but they, there's a relationship there kinda, but they don't really see great grandma a lot. And you say, hey, uh, you need to go give them a hug, right? What's that little kid gonna do? You're gonna be like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know if I wanna do that. And they end up kind of backing over and kind of giving some kind of weird like back hug type thing. You guys seen that? My kids do that and it's like, yeah, technically you gave her a hug, but it's this kind of the obligation to go do that, right? Unfortunately, like that's how a lot of people pray when they actually do. It's I'm, I'm gonna get close, but not too close. And so picture that, but then what happens whenever that same little kid needs to run to their parents, right? It's completely different because there's genuine relationship there. So they communicate their needs and their hurts and their wants and their feelings freely. Tim Keller, he, he says that you can tell a great deal about a person's relationship with the Lord by listening to them pray. And it's like, remind me never to pray in front of Tim Keller, right? But he says you can tell a big, like you can tell a lot by how someone prays. He says, you can tell if a man or woman is really on speaking terms with God. And what he's saying there is that there's a big difference in talking at God and talking with God. And here's what I mean by that. Talking at God sounds very rigid or recited. It may even sound theological or proper, but talking with God is more raw. Like it's real, it's, it's honest. And that's what God's after. First Peter chapter five, says this, cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. Cast your cares on him because he cares about you. Like that's not hypothetical. That's intentional that, that God through the inspired writer, he, he, the Holy Spirit spoke and told the writers what to write. 
He, he intentionally said to put this line that he cares about you. Like he literally cares about you. Not in theory, but in reality. So speak honestly to him. Tell him your hurts. Tell him your fears, your struggles, your insecurities, your doubts. You don't have to have big, impressive words when you pray. Philippians 4, 6 just says, present your requests to God. Like a child running to their mom or dad when they're hurt or they're upset or they have a need. Just speak honestly. That's what we see Hezekiah do here. The last component of his prayer, number three, is trust. Look at verse 19. Now, Lord our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God. You alone. See, Hezekiah knows that he is powerless in this situation, so he trusts, he trusts God. And that's what trust is. Trust is placing your fears and the outcome in his hands. It's, it's trusting his reliability and, and his strength and his abilities. And unfortunately, we can't do that unless we walk through some really tough things. But it's when fear arises in your life that you find out if you trust him, right? Because that's what, that's what faith is. Faith isn't the absence of fear. Faith is the presence of trust. And so just because you have faith in the Lord, that doesn't mean it's gonna take all those things away that, that make you fearful. It, it's, it's a time to put action to what you believe and what you know, and that's called trust. And he trusts God with his fears. Like he's afraid of, of death, of defeat, of the king coming in and, and turning them over but he trusts God with those fears and he trusts God for the outcome. He says his ultimate desire is for God to receive glory. Right? Not, he, he doesn't want this outcome to, to, to resolve itself for himself. Ultimately, he wants God to be glorified. He says, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you and you alone are God. I can imagine the trust that we display whenever that becomes our prayer. That God, this situation is scary and it's beyond my control, so I'm trusting you to do what only you can do. And whatever the outcome, I want you to be glorified and for everyone watching to know that you are God. And so the challenge I have for us this morning is that in good times and in hard times, Devote yourself to praying for God's power and his will and then step back and watch what he does for his glory, right? Just devote yourself to just praying for the power of God and the will of God in your life and then watch what he does for his glory. See, a year ago, a little over a year ago, we began praying about what God might wanna do through Second in the Greenbrier community. And a year later, <laughs> Like, I'm just blown away by his faithfulness and the things that he's done and the, the people that we've met and, and now share life with and the, the salvations that we've seen and the baptisms and the healed relationships and like everything that the Lord has done in just a year, I'm blown away by that. But it hasn't all been smooth sailing, <laughs> right? There's, there's been some tough days 
Tomorrow may be a tough day that comes up, right? Grief is, is kind of a part of it. I can't tell you how many very honest prayers I've prayed in my truck. Because <laughs> that seems to be the place where I just get real honest with the Lord, is driving in my truck. And so it hasn't all just been butterflies and things, but I think something amazing happens when God's people devote themselves to praying for God's power to come and then trusting him for what he does for his glory. And I think that this is evidence of that, the people of God praying for God to just move and for his glory to be shown and for people to come to know that he alone is the one true God, right? So that's Hezekiah's prayer. I want you to see how God answers him as we, as we close. Look at verse 20. Then Isaiah sent a message to Hezekiah. The Lord, the God of Israel says this. I have heard your prayer to me. I've heard your prayer. Isn't it good to know that, that God hears our prayers? And if you're like, man, I don't know, that, that's Old Testament, I don't know. Um, well, here's some more verses for you. 1 John 5, 14, 1 Peter 3, 12, 1 John 5, 15, Psalm 66, 17 through 20. Um, you'll have to go back to the podcast and re-listen to that to get those probably. But over and over again, man, throughout the Bible, we see that God hears us whenever we cry out to him. He promises to. He says, cast your burdens on me, and I'll hear you. And that's what happens. He said, I've, I've heard your prayer. And then verse 32 through 33, God says that this king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he's not going to hurt them at all. He's not even going to shoot a single arrow. In fact, it's this really cool section all the way through verse 20 through 31 or so of God talking about how he has complete power over the king of Assyria this whole time. That everything he's done, it's been because God has, has directed it. And in fact, one of the things that the Assyrians used to do is they used to lead people around with a hook in their nose and on a string. And God says, I'm going to do that to you and lead you back to Assyria. And whenever Sennacherib gets there, he's killed by one of his family members. The Lord is in complete control. And in verse 34, God says this. He says, I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. And that's what happens. He rescues them. They are spared in this moment. They go into a time of, of prosperity for the next few years. So in this case, Rescue happens, right? But sometimes it doesn't. And you've probably experienced that. You've probably been there. That it doesn't seem to resolve in the way that you hoped for. I know I've been there. Have you ever been with a loved one where your prayers shift from, Lord, please save him, to, Lord, please take him? It's tough. But in the end, like, we, we trust him because he promises to act, right? He promises to act. And he says he's going to act for his own glory and for his plans and his promises. See, God promised long ago to David that he was gonna preserve and protect a people and he's gonna save them through a future king that would come and sit on the throne forever. 
That's, that's the promise that he's talking about there, the promise for, my ser- for, for the sake of my servant David. He's talking about the promise that he made of a king that would come and sit on David's throne for all of eternity, protecting the people of God. He's talking about King Jesus. That's the promised one. And so while you and I, while we might not be spared on this earth, that promise still stands for us as well that through King Jesus, he will preserve us and save us for all of eternity. If you place your hope and your faith in him, if you've said yes to Jesus, then that is your truth. That for all of eternity, you will be saved and preserved. Maybe not here, and maybe not in the way that you've prayed for, but one day he'll make it all right. Because that's why he came. Like that was his whole purpose, that Jesus, the creator of all, not one thing, exist that he didn't make. And so the creator of all steps into creation and he comes on a rescue mission to save us because our sin separates us from God. We we talked about how there has to be deep relationship that exists there for for prayers to be heard, for prayers to, and when sin is in there, there's, there's no room for relationship to exist with the holy God. And so Jesus came to remedy that problem for us. And he goes to a cross and he dies a death that you and I deserve to die. And then he rose again from the dead. And when he did, he secured life for us. And and the Bible says if you and I just place our trust in him, if we just believe in him, and that doesn't just mean like head knowledge, like yeah, I think I believe these facts, like it means I trust him with my life. I'm saying yes to him with my life, and when, when, when we do that, the Bible says that we become children of God, that we go from being enemies to children. And just like we talked about, children run to their father because there is relationship there. So when you say yes to Jesus, that relationship exists and there's now full access to the Father. So, what's the application for us this morning? How do we, how do we tie all this up? This is the prayer of Hezekiah and it's not, again, it's not some magic formula for us as we're facing life's trials or going through different things. It's not a magic formula to get what we want, but it is a great example for us that our first instinct is to pray when those things come, that, that we come to him in worship, that we recognize his greatness and somehow that settles our fears. That we come to him with honesty from a, from a place of real relationship when we tell God our fears and our feelings and then we trust him with the outcome. Knowing that he loves us, knowing that he knows what's best for us and knowing that he has the power to actually do what's best for us. We place it all in his hands and we say, God, for your glory and for many people to know that you alone are God. I'm trusting you with this. May we all learn to pray that way. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.